Hello and welcome to the Data for Subscriptions podcast. This time around, a live session. And I'm your host, Pierre Bonian, and I have the great, great pleasure of welcoming Igor Stenmark to the show. Igor, welcome. Thank you for having me, Bedard. Appreciate it. Igor, you're the um, uh, co-founder and managing partner at MGI Research. So we're going to be able to lean towards you today, uh, amongst others, with your unbiased and candid uh, view of of the market and our focus of course is to really dig deep into usage-based billing and the complexities associated with it okay i'm uh, really looking forward to this dialogue and just before we get going just want to mention to everybody who uh, logs on now you are welcome to input your questions into the chat field and we'll make sure to pick them up along the way and we'll also make sure that there is time at the end for additional questions and answers but feel free just to add them in and we'll pick them up all right igor we um let's just set the base first what do we mean by usage billing so it, usage billing is basically ability of a company to charge its customers based on the amount of service they consume so it could be how much storage is consumed how much bandwidth is consumed how many api calls they made so that kind of stuff. So think about the old telephone billing systems, which would be, you know, billing would be based on number of minutes um, or any messages you send. Yep. If we uh, speak about the drivers for adoption, because we've seen this now increasingly being a term that has popped up in the industry in the last two years. What would you say are the primary drivers for moving towards usage-based billing? I think one of the key drivers for this is really kind of a sense that usage-based models really help align the economic interests of, of uh, the actual customers and the seller. So basically saying, if you use more, you pay more if you use less you pay less. So that's that's kind of the theory behind it. Uh, there's been kind of, as well as additional increased supply of capability in this area. We see more people trying to build this internally in some cases. We see more startups that have come to market offering this capability to target markets that previously were not consumers of usage-based business models. So it's kind of multiple forces with that propelling this forward at this point. But I think the basic argument that people make, at least theoretically, is that this helps align the economic interests. And do you agree with that practically that it does? Um, as as it is often the case, practical adoption and practical use can be very different. So um, People are used to standardized subscription-based models where they pay a fixed fee per month per seat. When you have usage, you can do very well as a seller, but also you give up some degree of predictability. And that can cause unexpected outcomes. I'll give you an you know, example. We have a, a, a client firm that is in the online ticketing business they sell tickets to various concerts and, uh, you know, and basically 
uh, where business is doing great. Everything is usage-based. They sell APIs to uh, ticket sales, but none of the investors have been able to value a company and commit to funding. So in the meantime, they are rolling on their own. So I think reality is much more complicated, typically, um, than what the theory portrays. But what we can summarize is that what the usage-based models do is that it gives you additional tools in your pricing framework. So if you go from basic flat fee subscriptions, you at least have the options of adding additional variables. And I know you speak about it quite often yourself, is that there could be a you know, base commitment in terms of a certain fee. And then on top of it, you have a number of pay as you go or consumption base, for example. We typically refer to that in the industry as like hybrid pricing, for example, right? Yeah, that's that's certainly one very real possibility. I think uh, we few companies really start right away with usage-based pricing in their business models. There are a few, like the client example I shared uh, previously, but most companies may start with a basic subscription. And then we, at some point, we reach a level of saturation where they signed up pretty much everybody with a target market and the model goes flat with some degree of add-ons and cancellations and so on. So people begin to think, how do I grow beyond that plateau? What do I have to do to escape? What's my second escape velocity here? Uh, and we start thinking about usage, where we start thinking about the fact that maybe the basic subscription only covers a certain amount of content or material or capability, and anything that's extra, extra to that should be priced through either usage or some sort of a hybrid model. Could be usage with tiers, could be usage with minimum commitments, can be prepaid or postpaid. So usage gives businesses a lot of uh, optionality, a lot of capability that we don't necessarily get with a flat monthly price subscription. So it really opens up a lot of potential markets, Open up, opens up markets, but maybe before were not reachable, where a customer will say, I can't afford to pay you know, $2,000 per seat per month, but if you give me usage-based pricing, I can try it for six months and see if my people get into it. And if they do, then we can renegotiate that in a year and see where we end up. So it really is a lot of opportunity with usage billing. Gotcha. So let's talk about the common challenges with getting started. You already mentioned one of the challenges we could say, but that necessarily is not to get started, but it's the predictability that you kind of have to negotiate with. But let's talk about the common challenges when people want to get started with usage phase. What would you say are the are those ones? I think one of the most important things that companies need to plan for is to um, have a clear understanding of what pricing models we're going to deploy, what's the pricing complexity, and what is the data situation, what is the, uh, the data complexity and data uh, cleanliness. Um, where is a it's usage billing is not one size fits all. You can have a variety, almost think of it as a spectrum of complexity. So where on that spectrum of complexity does your business really position? 
Are you okay doing a very simple, basic uh, usage feed once a month, one batch file from a single source, everything looks the same? Okay, that's fairly easy to do. Most products today can handle that. Versus you want to do something that will measure your consumption in real time or quick time and create updates to account statements in real time as well, while simultaneously really accepting data from variety of incompatible data sources. So there's a really a big distance between the first example I gave you versus somebody's trying to do real time uh, usage-based billing based on variety of data sources in real time. So different levels of technology are required. Underneath all that, there has to be a really a singular focus on data because data in most organizations is not 100% clean. Uh, and we, we're doing a study right now and we found that basically if you have one-tenth of a percent of your data that's dirty in various forms, misaligned, missing data, out of sync, that can lead to about 1% revenue leakage. So it's about 10 to 1. <clears throat> and, and that's very significant. If you're running you know, a $10 million business, that's maybe a, an amount you can tolerate. But if you're running a billion, $5 billion, $20 billion organization, and you have even 1% revenue leakage, which is really well below where the industry benchmarks are, which are typically between 3 to 7%. When 1% revenue leakage is a, is a very meaningful number, it can sway a quarter, can change your results significantly in fortunes. So I think people need to be really prepared for the data problem, really understand where is data going to come from, um, design a system that will combine different data sources if we need to be in real time, how the cleaning is going to go, how consolidation is going to go, how are you going to handle it and do it in a persistent manner as opposed to trying to sort of, you know, filter your data once and hope for the best afterwards. Thank you. I want to just uh, double click on the focus on data that you mentioned. How come in your experience, it is so that businesses and we've come across this, both of us businesses that are literally turning around billions in revenue are still sitting with some of these, uh, data challenges and issues. How come this is the case, Igor? Is it due to a lack of competence, awareness, or overbelief in certain existing processes? What is the main driver or uh, cause? I think most companies, even best-run companies with really a very solid IT infrastructure and really competent teams, um, Focus on data is often, we find, that's an afterthought. Okay. It, it's really attended to once something begins to fall down, once we realize that something is not working right. It's very often not a proactive exercise, and it's not um, a continuous exercise. So, and that's what it needs to be. It needs to be kind of done in advance, proactively, on a continuous basis. Um, I, 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 I see companies that have huge amounts of data and more data, you know, the, the growth in data is huge. It's far exceeds 
any growth in GDP or, or in revenue. Um, and it's only accelerating. So companies are really challenged in that, in that area. And especially if you have to then say to them, take what data you need, let's say you're doing dynamic pricing and you want to take information about traffic, information about supply and demand, um, and combine it into one system so that you can have dynamic pricing and dynamic rating and billing, that's not, not easy to do. It requires specialized expertise. So we find that a lot of companies are unprepared for that. Um, we attempt to do it on their own, uh, oftentimes with mixed success. Uh, they don't engage with professional organizations that do this for a living. Um, so I would say um, that remains really a huge problem. Uh, we, as we say here, dirty data kills, almost like cigarettes kill. Um, and uh, it, we're, we're probably years away from a situation where this is going to be really meaningfully corrected. Also, for everybody listening, so when you advise companies, Igor, what are the two to three things you can advise us all to lead with in terms of questions so we can self-diagnose ourselves, just given what you just described? How do you do it? Um, well, as we discussed just a little bit earlier, understand your requirements, where on a requirements spectrum and a complexity spectrum are you now, and where is your business going to be, not only now, but say 24, 36 months out. So if you're building some sort of a data bus to really bring information to a uh, usage-based uh, pricing model or dynamic pricing, um, you need to understand what the competitive dimensions are in your business and your economic sector, and where do you need to be with what capability so that you are well positioned to compete in your space. That's number one. Um, number two, understand, try to sort of understand, sort of understand what your data sources are. Where is data coming from? What is the growth in that data? What is the level of complexity in the data? What's the level of hygiene? that data what kinds of things uh will you have to build and accommodate or accommodate uh in order to process this data successfully so we we oftentimes point people to a basic issue of you're going to need storage you're going to need variable storage you may want to talk to your hyperscaler about how to store all this usage data uh, or data which you feel feed into a dynamic pricing algorithm um, so that's, that's a very important aspect of it as well. And the other thing we, uh, advise companies is really examine both organizationally and, and in terms of skills, do you have the right team in place? Even if you engage with an external partner that has expertise in this area, whether it's a software provider or, or a systems integrator, you will need some level of internal skill to manage this on a continuous basis. So don't assume that you can just hand off this problem to a software supplier or uh, an SI and, and pray for the best. Uh, you'll need to invest into some internal resources. Uh, we've seen examples of uh, usage billing being adopted now by relatively small companies, you know, series A, series B companies uh, for fairly simple use cases where it maybe it's a simple feed or a single real-time feed from one source maybe two at the max 
um, going beyond, and that you can do probably with limited level of resources and skill sets, but anything going beyond that, you're going to have to invest into people as well as just tools. Gotcha. Thank you. So first, understand your business requirements of today. Look 20 to 36 months ahead and what's needed and then what capabilities that you need to basically be successful. Number two, understand where the data comes from and your sources. And number three, don't forget the skills and competence that you need also in-house still to be able to run this business, so to say. Yep. That's, uh, that's very concrete. Thank you. I'm just going to add my perspective on number two, which is just very pragmatically and practically. If you do notice as a business that it takes you a fair bit of time to allocate the different data sources and the data records, that's an indication that that is not working to the satisfactory level that your business will require, which is something that we notice most of the times when we engage with customers is that, uh, in fact, they might be able to actually capture the data. Most of the times they do, but it typically is fairly manual. And if you think about your first point, Igor, that where your business need to go and what capabilities you need, you need much more agile and just automated fashion, not to mention the data cleanliness that you mentioned there, to avoid dirty data. But this is very helpful. Thank you, Igor. We, um, I was thinking that we move over to more of the execution implementation side of things now, but before we do, we have uh, some comments and uh, questions as well. So I'm just gonna take the first one. This is more of a statement, but it's related to when we spoke about uh, pricing models and variations that you could have a few minutes ago. Uh, and as, as the note came up from Roy, thank you for your input. You could also have various packages of usage based on based, uh, based models also like 50 cent up per API up to 50 and then 40 cents between 50 and 100 API calls and then 30 cents beyond. Um, we might you know refer to this as like a tiered approach uh, yeah. where you have some kind of a discount right. model on top. Do you want to expand or comment on this? Yeah, this is a very common model, except in most cases, uh, companies don't always charge 40 cents or 50 cents for API because people who are interested in this kind of stuff, generally you, you're talking about buying packs of you know 100,000 or million API calls. Uh, that's, how, what's, that's the scale of it. So, um, you know, so a lot of times the actual a, each API call can be less than a penny. Uh, that's the kind of thing that will really stimulate consumption. Uh, so people will think, oh, it's, uh, you know, one-tenth of a cent penny per API call. But then we get kind of a statement at the end of the month and we realize that they far exceeded anything they planned. So you have to be careful about that with customers if that's what you are proposing to them because um, clients generally, people, in especially in IT, environment don't get fired for uh, uh, spending a million or spending 10 million. They um, get rewarded if they spend 10 million and we predicted that and they get fired if they have a million dollar unexpected expense. Um, so there needs to be a mechanism where you can proactively communicate to a client saying you are reaching 80% capacity in your prepaid or in your uh, kind of a setup to do alerts when you reach certain level of uh, consumption. So both those are important things to consider. So the next question, I'm gonna actually bake it into one question I had myself, but if I go from my end, and kind of step into the question of um, tools that we need to 
have or implement to make sure we can achieve what we just discussed, Igor? So my first question is, there seems to be, if one looks at the market, there seems to be so that billing systems or billing providers are obviously claiming that you can do usage-based billing through or with the billing system. Is that the case or not? If you can just elaborate on it. Yes. So in theory, in, in simplistic terms, yes, many billing software providers have uh, mediation, uh, raising capability, ability to operate in quick time or real time. In practical terms, um, it, it again depends on where you are on your spectrum of complexity. Um, I think the best billing products out there can handle a certain level of complexity and volume when it comes to mediation and, and rating. Um, and, and they tend to kind of have more difficulty as you go above that kind of a threshold where you say, I need to process, you know, four or 500,000 events per second. I need to process up to N different incompatible data sources. You're basically asking those systems to create an orchestra from a bunch of soloists who've never played together. Um, and so that, that can be a challenge with a certain level of risk involved in that. So it can work up to a certain point and probably work fairly well. But then if you have a more complex uh, end of that spectrum, it becomes much more challenging, I think. So you kind of need to ask your billing supplier when they tell you that they support usage-based billing show me tell me show me your uh, references i want to talk to them ask them to see if their use case matches my use case show me how you would do dynamic pricing show me how you would do an audit what's involved in that and i don't want to be loading data and unloading data using etl tools because that's an additional cost and it's not real time it's all batch so those are the kinds of things you need to engage in kind of make sure that uh, what the billing supplier can offer, which can be a solution, actually meets, going to meet your requirements both now and in, in the near future. Gotcha. I was meaning to ask you, um, because I know you speak about a litmus test that you do to kind of verify the claims that companies make, but I, you uh, beat me to them. So I think that those yeah. factors that you mentioned in terms of check references and ask uh, to be shown and proven how dynamic pricing is done, auditing, and the whole data management back end are, are extremely good points for anybody who is looking into this. Let's um, The question that we also had in the background uh, that I was meaning to ask, to some extent, I believe you've already answered it, but if we put it on the screen here, Thomas, uh, the question was specifically how scalable are usage billing systems and what consideration should business consider to ensure the system can adapt and change the business needs? Um, I mean, to, to, to a large extent, you've answered it, but if you want to have another take at it, please go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, billing systems can be um, can provide performance up to a certain level, call it maybe. You know, we've seen some... Um, recent benchmarks published by a number of vendors where we say if they can handle upwards to say a couple of hundred thousand events per second. Uh, we have not yet seen actual kind of references. We can, we, we, 
our research is always based on field work. So we have to go out and validate some of those um, statements. Um, but I think there's probably a number of areas where those requirements go well beyond that, you know, 100 to 200,000 events per second. Um, but also I think with complexity of the data and growth in the data coming in, ability to uh, manage the data on a dynamic basis, being able to consolidate when needed, uh, create that so-called golden billing record. Um, those are um, complex exercises, but it's not enough to just be able to say, I can feed a lot of data very quickly, and it's a single level data, it's all very, very simple. Um, the other thing we also uh, recommend to clients is to take a look at how we're going to use mediation capability in general beyond just a billing use case. Uh, there is increasingly interest in, especially in finance organizations, um, to uh, utilize some sort of a data bus, data substrate to consolidate all their data. Because right now, many of the finance processes, uh, including billing, run on a batch basis. So they are running with a delay, hmm. kind of a discrete approach as opposed to a continuous approach. Whereas many finance organizations increasingly want to know where do I stand? What's my exposure? What's my foreign currency risk? A famous example we give is when after the 2008 uh, uh, mortgage crisis globally, uh, United States government took over General Motors in, in the US and the person that we put in charge of it was a former private equity professional. And the very first question he asked was, how much cash do we have on hand? Seems like a simple question. It, it took 60 days to answer that question. So you don't want to be in that situation. You want to be able to answer it in, maybe not in real time, but in quick time. So that's another use case. So consider that as well as a, as a, as a sort of consideration. Yep. You do a research, you've already mentioned that, and I know that in your latest research, you say that 60% of the observed companies are already running usage-based. So can we just start by highlighting the demographics of who did you survey, who were who were included? Yeah, so we, we surveyed probably a few hundred companies and asked them, are you utilizing usage in some shape or form? And 60% said, said yes. Interestingly enough, um, a lot of them have said that usage is not the only pricing model that they are utilizing. There's generally a spectrum of different pricing modalities, including hybrid. Um, and a lot of it, people, they see real time or quick time um, usage data as being absolutely critical to their uh, initiative. Also, we found that a lot of the same companies are ones who exhibit high growth. So we're growing at 20% plus. So a few interesting data points came out of that study. And we, so we're continuing to run that. Some more stuff should be coming out over the next few months. If you break down those 60% and we bring it back to when you talked about that, there is a obviously a spectrum in terms of complexity from the uh, you know one product, one batch that you're running all the way to the other end where you running multiple products, multiple SKUs and real time. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a feel for where these companies typically sit 
at the early stage, mid or late stage advanced? What's the proportion? Yeah. It, it breaks down from what I've seen so far, it mostly breaks down by size. So the larger companies tend to have more complex, more volume of requirements. So we're kind of at a higher end of that complexity and volume uh, dimension intersection. And with smaller companies, with more of a startups, a series A, series B, generally have with simpler use cases. But in a few exceptions, we've seen a couple of companies, let's say in transportation, in logistics, one company that's um, leasing containers for ocean transportation. It's all real time, a lot of data, even though the company has only about 40 people, but it may process a huge amount of data and huge amounts of revenue. Gotcha. Let's talk about getting things to work at scale. You mentioned this several times as well, beyond complexity, which is one of the other vectors. Can you elaborate a little bit more so we all understand when, when you say getting it to work at scale, what that specifically means and what are the risks if one oversees that aspect? Yeah, very good question. So what can scale mean in this context? So scale could mean you know, just volume of data you're processing. Scale could mean speed, being real time or quick time versus doing this in batch once a month or once in a billing cycle. Scale could mean how many different data sources you have. What is the conversion algorithm from the processing of how many records for call records, if you call them you know, in the old parlance of telecom, into a golden billing record? What's the scale of that? Um, and how many interfaces do you need to put in place? How many external systems are going to be feeding the data? And how do you manage that whole complex? How do you make that sound like an orchestra with perfect pitch, uh, as opposed to kind of you know a bunch of guys just playing in their own little corners here? So that's in in very simplistic terms. That's kind of a definition of scalability. How do you get this to scale? Reporting very important. And then ability, as I mentioned earlier, ability to generate um, uh, an audit that is unambiguous and uh, something that cannot be repudiated in any shape or form. That's, that's another kind of definition of scalability. So at any point in time, a client may come back to you and say, yes, we consumed uh, X number of units this month, we believe you, but we wanna, we wanna show our management and our auditors what we've done and therefore we would like to see an audit of that so we want to go back last month maybe month before month before that and take some samples of data and recreate the billing situation so it, there's no ambiguity about the fact that the billing the calculations are absolutely correct 100 percent of the time great thank you all right, so I want to move just into the final section since we've covered basically the all the way from the basics of what usage billing is with the examples to the range and spectrum of complexity. And then also here finally talking about where company stands as well as the actual question of scale. Where I want to end things a bit is if you would advise on what's um, best practice setup leaning towards your accumulated knowledge of all the different companies you've seen, all the mistakes that you've seen, what would be the guidance you have for everybody listening? What's a good setup 
And I mean from a systems and tools standpoint to make sure that you set yourself up for success so you can grow and scale along the way. Yeah, good question. Um, when when we encounter somebody who is brand new to this, um, or maybe they try to do it in house and realize this is uh, more than they can more than they can chew, um, our advice for them is to go have a conversation with a variety of suppliers. Go talk to your billing vendor, talk to mediation supply, software suppliers, talk to systems integrators, accumulate knowledge rapidly, as rapidly as you can, and make sure you have a team internally that's going to absorb it, document it, and really kind of distill it into practical uh, action items related to what, what you're going to do internally in your company. So um, that's, that's one element of that. Um, we focus their attention on uh, storage and uh, hyperscaling with storage and how we're going to handle it. Some companies are perfectly happy to do it internally in-house. And most companies nowadays uh, opt to go to their cloud provider and have a discussion with them about how we're going to scale the, the storage mechanism for usage-based data. Um, but our side of that is, again, going back to a comment I made earlier about um, understanding where you are competitively, where are the pricing approaches going uh, in the next 24, 36 months? What does a competitive field look like? So are you going to need to offer just usage billing, usage billing with tiering, prepaid versus postpaid, where technical considerations and business considerations for both? Um, are you going to use uh metering and measuring not to do an invoice but actually just measure level of engagement and usage um, a good example would be you may have an unlimited data plan with your telecom provider but guess what they're still measuring you every hour of every day and if you exceed a certain threshold they'll slow you down um, we kind of are forced to doing that so understand kind of the Pricing and business model complexity, are you going to be offering dynamic pricing, for example? What does it take to support that? Um, and then really have a, an understanding of com complexity spectrum of your data. How many different data sources? Where do we come from? How stable? How clean? What kind of conversion? What kind of mediation is going to be required to support that? Those are kind of elemental items that you need to have in order to not guarantee success, but at least ensure that you're going in the right direction. Uh, so that's kind of our view on that. Okay, gotcha. Let's take a question that just came in, which is related to the statement that you've made in terms of how one would do dynamic pricing and how one would do audits. The question here is, what are some of the other questions you would ask a billing solution provider to determine the limitations of their mediation usage data layer capabilities? Yeah, I would, you know, always tell our clients to go ask for references, go get references, talk to them, uh, understand their use case uh, and compare it to what you're trying to do. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's the best practical way of getting a level of comfort because generally this is a complex thing so uh, most companies don't want to go on a fishing expedition 
saying, let's install it and try it and see what happens. They want to have, before we even do it, they want to have a reasonable level of comfort that when we actually go set up a trial, that this is going to work, this is going to be a success. They don't want to be experimenting in something like that. So I would say generally go get your field data, talk to references or listen to reference calls, see what happened. Does it match your use case? Is your requirement set comparable in terms of scalability, complexity, being able to manage it, being able to audit the data coming in? So Great. Thank you. Okay, I think that wraps it up for today. Igor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for everybody also signing in and joining in today for your questions and comments. Um, thank you so much, everybody. See you next time. Thank you.